In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos pregame walkthrough brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB as we get you set for the Eastern Final. The Montreal Alouettes visiting your Toronto Argonauts. And if you are listening to this podcast, there's a pretty good chance you're going as the stadium is getting pretty full. We'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about a couple of last week's topics very briefly because we haven't had a chance to talk to you in a while. We'll just quickly go through what we thought about the CFL All-Star scenario. We'll go through the TV ratings for last week's playoff games and maybe discuss the times at which they're played. JB, I know you've got a couple of thoughts on that. Uh, We want to talk about rivalries, the QEW series, the Roy Woods halftime show, uh, the injury report that came out today, depth charts for the Argos. We've got OCDC coming your way too, along with one thing and predictions. All that more is coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. Let's dive into the CFL All-Star situation. JB, why don't you start this off? Because I know you were you were as frustrated, I think, as most CFL fans when this ended up being a, a saga instead of just here are the All-Stars for 2022. Yeah, we were we were off last week, so I think some of my anger has subsided. Um, but it it is frustrating that the league made such a hash of this. Um, you know, not not just from an embarrassing point of view where like it looks pretty, pretty minor league, but you're talking about people who have families that they told the friends who are excited for them. I mean, to to tell somebody they're an all star and then say, oh, actually, no, you're not an all star is terrible. And the league office should have, you know, done everything in, in its power to make sure that they got it right before revealing it because you have to know, well, we definitely don't want to tell somebody they're an all-star and then be wrong about it. And it just feels like either nobody double-checked it or the people who double-checked it had not watched a CFL game since 1998. Not only is it for those reasons, and I, I equate it to like, you know, phoning the ro- the wrong candidate to tell them they got the job and then calling back and say, oh, sorry, you actually didn't get that job. But in this case, this is tied into money in in some of these instances where there are bonuses tied to contracts for all-star nominations. And that in itself is is pretty upsetting. You clearly, anybody, I mean, you clearly could have looked at that list of winners and said something is wrong here. Every every single media source uh, and fan base and player <laughs> was like, what, what is this list? There's no way this list is correct. And the fact that that didn't occur to anybody at the league office, I think is uh, not shocking. I guess I'm a bit too cynical to be shocked by anything like that, but disappointing that no one followed the league closely enough to realize that this was a very skewed, uh, incorrect list list of winners. So, you know... It's better better next time, uh, CFL head office. In terms of the actual All-Stars, there were a few that initially were nominated that had it taken away that I'm really disappointed for. So initially it was 16 Toronto Argonaut All-Stars. Oh, and God. just like you and I were saying, uh, in a way, it's good that that didn't stand because talk about having a target on your back. 
a team with 16 CFL All-Stars. No, like that, that, that's most that of the CFL All-Star right. team. That's what really concerned me was like, this is wrong. I mean, we, there's no way we have that many All-Stars. And now you're putting us you know, in the jackpot. So on one level, I'm glad that they fixed it. But yeah. And the ones I feel sorry for, like, I, I think right away, as soon as you saw Andrew Harris on there and Boris Beattie on there, those guys are certainly they've, they've you know, they've played at all star levels for their career. But this is this is not a good season for Boris Beattie. This is not a good season for Andrew Harris by his typical standard. And they had to know as soon as they saw that they're like, that's that's a little bit odd. I feel really sorry for guys who had it taken away for the, from them who were deserving, like Darius Bladek, Philip Blake, like Darius Bladek. I had as as my my top graded offensive lineman for the Argos. He absolutely deserved to be an All Star this year. And Philip Blake, while I didn't have him graded quite as high, it was playing a position that he really never played aside from in an emergency in game situation. And he's played amazingly well at left tackle to the point where they now have healthy left tackles, and they're like, "No, Philip Blake, you keep doing it because you're you're a really really strong left tackle." So those guys, I really feel for. And, you know, along with like Deshaun Amos, I think, you know, he I'm sure he looked at that and, and believed it because, you know, he, he's felt very good about how he's played this season. And I don't think there's any reason why you would think, well, this can't be right if you're if you're Deshaun Amos. So a few guys like that, Ja'Garrett Davis, probably as well, where I, I just I, I think that's that's what upsets me most is knowing the roller coaster of emotions that those guys would have gone through. Now, the actual CFL All-Stars all very deserving. You can't argue with McLeod Bethel-Thompson, second year in a row, that he's the CFL East quarterback. And it's it's his best year of his career. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And you'd say the same thing about A.J. Olette and Curly Gittens Jr., all three of them, right? Best best career, best year they've had in their careers. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with you. I, I didn't think they overlooked anyone, uh, in truth, in terms of the All-Star selection. <laughs> somehow, somehow uh, Hamilton got a million, which turned out really great for them when they went on the road. And yeah, so, that's the danger that exactly, we were talking about, I though. I was so glad that they took the jackpot off us and put it right on uh, your Hamilton Tiger Cats. <laughs> and then offensive line recognition to Justin Lawrence, which is great for him. Again, a guy that has gone above and beyond has really answered uh, a serious concern for the Argos, not knowing at the beginning of the year, like we thought, we thought Nicastro at the beginning of the year that he was going to be out for a few weeks. And then it started, you started seeing signs that the team really didn't think that. And here he's played the entire season uh, and played really well after a little bit of a rough start those first few games. Uh, he's just nailed it down to John Allen. Excellent job at right tackle. Really not his comfortable side. He played his entire time in, in college on the left, and he's been able to transition to the right without any issue. And then on defense, uh, Oakman, awesome. McManus, I think the best defensive player in the league this year. If he doesn't miss those last few games for injury, I, I think he's right in that conversation. Jamal Peters leading the league in interceptions, and John Haggerty, the best punter in the league. You can't argue with any of those selections. I just felt for some of those other guys that that didn't quite get there. The TV ratings were a bit of an issue uh, this past weekend. It's not that they were terrible, but they were down. And that concerns me for a few reasons. Let me just go through the numbers quickly and we'll get into game times. And not that that changed, but I know you have some thoughts on that. So first of all, let's do the Montreal Hamilton game. The reason this one is interesting to me is that it's the same matchup as last year. And so 
often it's tough to gauge Montreal viewership because we know that a lot of Montreal fans are watching on RDS and it's really tough to get numbers from RDS. We know that in the regular season, they average about 200,000 viewers, uh, we're told, but we don't know what that would have been like for playoff games. So that often makes it difficult. But here we've got a direct comparison because it's it's Montreal-Hamilton in back-to-back years. Last year in this matchup, they drew 685,000, and that's not including RDS. This year, 516,000. So that is, that, that's down a huge number, basically down 150,000 viewers. Um, so that's, yeah, that's alarm bell number one. You look at the other matchup, and this was, to me, a, a, a huge ratings opportunity. You have BC with a Canadian quarterback, the return of Nathan Rourke, who everybody is excited to see playing against a really good team, the Calgary Stampeders. I thought this for sure was going to go over a million like it did last year. Last year it was Saskatchewan, Calgary. They were over a million viewers. And this year with you know what I thought was a way more interesting matchup and a packed BC place, and it draws 754,000. I think that is concerning. JB, is this tied to it being a Sunday, 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock Eastern start? It certainly has always been, um, you know, my criticism. And, and and now the numbers have always been solid in the pushback. But it, it, it never made any sense to me that the CFL tried to go head-to-head with the monolith that is the NFL. I mean, even Major League Baseball, NBA, basketball. I mean, these are major leagues that that bow to to the NFL. Um, I I don't know why they don't try and make Saturday their day. I know Saturday night you run into hockey conflict, um, so that's that's probably that's probably an issue. If you went Saturday, you know, one and four, maybe you avoid the hockey conflict. It it seems to me Saturday would be better. Uh, but yeah, I, I was a little surprised. I thought I thought the Calgary BC uh, numbers would be stronger. I guess with BC, they've been kind of weird because like Rourke was out, and then he didn't really come back, and they weren't very good, and they they've had a bunch of injuries, so they're not they're a bit of a wild card. So I guess maybe that's why the excitement for the BC team had kind of dissipated. People weren't sure what lion team they were getting. Um, Calgary is not a particularly exciting team to watch. Um, but yeah, I was surprised that BC Calgary didn't create more, um, more attention, more, more kind of electricity, more sparks. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know what, to, I don't know what to put that to. I don't know if Saturday fixes that or if it's just kind of a, a down year, but uh, I'm, I'm surprised by that. Yeah, I was too. I, I think Rourke is the most interesting player in the CFL. I think he's he's got to be the biggest draw in the CFL, playing a prime position, having played it as well as anybody in pretty much the history of the league to start the season. And imagine the excitement of having a Canadian quarterback in the Grey Cup, and he's one game away from doing that. Yeah, I think, I, I, yeah, I agree. I think... He his, his the electricity behind him just sort of dissipated when he got hurt, and it hasn't really built again. And and if he beats Winnipeg, I think it it builds again. 
On Friday, TSN aired Rivalries, the QEW series, which was must-watch TV for Hamilton Tiger Cats and Toronto Argonauts fans. And it was really well-timed as well to have it come the, you know, the, the weekend leading into the playoff weekend. And I think, I think probably when they put this series together, they're hoping that there would be a Toronto-Hamilton matchup in one of the two weekends to wrap up the season. That would have been absolutely perfect. But I wanted to just address that a little bit because they did in this show one of the things that I think you and I have been asking for more. One of the most interesting things about the CFL, and I think one of the reasons it it becomes such a watchable league, is the interesting personalities that you've got. And football has always sort of struggled with that. I think it's I think it's the helmets that sort of distance you from the athletes. It's not the same as as seeing tennis players, soccer players, whatever it is, boxers, you name it. You, you, their faces right there. They're very recognizable people because their faces are always visible when you're watching their sport. Basketball the same way. Baseball to a slightly lesser extent, I guess. But that's something that football struggled with because they've got this big face mask. They've got this big helmet. They're in these giant pads. Um, by far the most difficult athletes to uh, to recognize after jousters. And uh, they are able to, in shows like this, really introduce you to these highly interesting characters. And I thought the show did a really nice job. They, they, they talked to a lot of different people, but really focusing in on McLeod Bethel-Thompson and Enoch Mwamba for the Argos, uh, and really focusing on, on uh, Simone Lawrence and Dane Evans for the Tiger Cats, all of whom have fantastic stories, are very well-spoken individuals, and really engage the viewer. And you watch a show like that, and you absolutely want to see the next Argos or Ticats game. How can they how can they maximize something like this? Like how how is this not just like a one and done where, well, that was fun, you know, wasn't that great? Let's move on to something else. I'd love to see them, you know, certainly MLSE has the ability to look at like an open gym style uh, TV show about the Argos. I think that'd be fantastic if, I mean, the issue, of course, is is getting people interested in it um, and, uh, you know, wh- whether the ratings are there for it or not. But, I I mean, I'd love to get, see them at least give it a shot. I know they kind of have in the past, but I think it's worth resurrecting to, to see if you can, you know, follow the team for a year and and let people see who these guys are and that, like, how, you know, most of them, are not making nine million, twenty million, forty million dollars a year, um, like so many other sports stars are, and 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 are way more relatable. You know that literally they're just here because they love the sport, and you know they want to be a part of this thing up here in Canada, and uh, you know th- th- fantastic personalities and interesting guys and. I, I really I really think there is a show there. I, I mean, I have no doubt there's a show there if if somebody was willing to 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 try it for a year. I don't know whether the CFL would do it as a league or if you, or if you know somebody could get some money from TSN uh, to 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 try it for a year. Um, but I I know they ran that that series. What um, it's probably six or seven years ago now. Uh, and it didn't it didn't catch fire so maybe maybe that's the problem but i would love to i would love next year for them to to try and build the whole season um there's more of these shows now like you look at that premier you know the the third league show about uh 
Ryan Reynolds owning that club uh, in in Wales. That that model of show is is becoming a little more popular. So maybe maybe somebody will get get some money and and do it. Hopefully hopefully the Hamilton Toronto ratings were decent, and that maybe gets somebody at TSN thinking. I think one of the hardest things to get is for the the teams to agree. Like even with even with the F one show, which has turned into a huge hit for them in the beginning everybody was very hesitant to get involved in the first season you you barely see anybody that that you recognize and i think the nfl has seen that issue with hard knocks where it's a great show people love watching it but it's really hard to get a team to agree to no, do it exactly and i think that's where the cfl can be a hard knocks that the at the nfl would dream of because you don't have you know billion dollar franchises and billion dollar owners throwing around their weight i think you could you have the potential to do everything hard knocks wish it could except with the CFL i mean yeah i think that's the potential is there's just way more access way more kind of behind the scenes uh, it's just everything's on a different scale so you're you're way more likely to really let people know what it's like to be a professional football player i i, I think it's a golden opportunity i i really hope tsn um, you know, decides to uh, to to invest in in a show because I, I I think it would be great. And you know, they're always looking for content, and I see all kinds of shows on TSN that I don't think are particularly good. So well, maybe replace one of those. The Toronto Argonauts have announced their halftime show for the Eastern Finals. I don't think I'm a good gauge of halftime show. Like I I know about four bands uh, that are under the age of 40 because that's just that's just me so I recognize anytime anyone is announcing a halftime show for any event whether it's Grey Cup or uh, Eastern Final Weekend Western Final Weekend uh, semifinals you, what you have didn't you buy, you didn't buy an OVO pass last year I, I did not oh, and right. So I, I recognize right away, like I, I, what I think about the artist that's named means nothing. And I'm, I'm quite happy with that. What I want to see when anyone names an artist performing at a CFL halftime show at, at any stage of the regular season, playoffs, Grey Cup, I want to see that it is either going to bring in people that are not currently CFL fans and it's really going to interest them and engage them, or I want to see it appeal to the uh, population that is paying and is going to be there and they're going to be really pleased with it. And again, I'm I'm neither of those things. So it's not for me I, and I'm quite happy with that. Tell me about Roy Woods. Why is why is getting Roy Woods to perform this weekend at the halftime show such a big deal? Yeah, I, 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 it's a real coup, I think, for Toronto. He's a, he's a Toronto-based artist um, on Drake's label and sort of a R&B weekend sometimes sounds a little bit like drake sing rapping uh you know he's fantastic he's got you look at his spotify and his tracks have hundreds of millions of listens um and he, he you know he he is an urban r&b artist which is an audience would be fantastic if the argos could reach out to more and uh, and sort of draw in he's you know he is you know, let's be frank. He's a lot cooler than the CFL is a lot of times, and uh, that's a real coup to bring him in and and add a bit of uh, add a bit of juice to uh, to the East Final. And you know, 
it's it's not half a country artist, but uh, you know Toronto's doing the best that they can. I gather you're not 100% pleased with the Grey Cup halftime show? <laughs> hey, look, obviously it made Saskatchewan happy, and God bless them out there. Very well said. I, I think, and again, like with that, I don't know. I can't evaluate, I can't evaluate country music stars or, or a country music or act. A but it, it, whatever it is, but it's not for me. It's okay. I'm fine with that. As long as it is doing one of those two things, it's got the local audience happy, awesome. If it brings in other viewers, awesome. Maybe you can do both of those things. And I hope that Roy Woods does a little bit of that for the Argos this weekend. Yeah, it's great. I mean, anytime you can be cool, you should be. And, and you know, I think full credit to the Argos and pinball. And and you can see from the players, man, the players love it. So I think that's, I think that's awesome to kind of break out of the kind of stodgy, dorky, <laughs> you know, sometimes feel that the CFL has. And I don't want to badmouth like dog racing competitions that we saw last week because I do think those are outstanding. I, I like those, but again, not for me. This is a much better act. <laughs> the fact that you've got players on other teams. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure happy. Roy Woods would be yeah, very sure happy to know be he's better than dog racing. But that's but that's for me. Like if you're trying to entertain me, you've got dog racing. You've got that lady balancing plates on a unicycle. Like that's that's me. That's what that's what I want. But I'm not. I should not be the target audience. You've got me. You don't need more me's in nope. the stadium. There's there's thousands of me's already there. Uh, and so, yeah, I love the fact they've got this. The fact that you've got other players and teams around the league saying, "Man, I wish I was at the, at yeah, the Toronto halftime show." Yeah, it's a great, it's a great get. So they've opened up the Upper East Side of BMO Field. the uh, The entire west side of the stadium is sold out. The lower deck of the east side of the stadium is sold out. The end zone is sold out. The only section left is the Upper East Side. I think that's, for one, that's fantastic. But I wanted to ask you something because I got into a great discussion today with Marcus Nielsen. And if you don't follow Marcus Nielsen, you absolutely should. He does some really nice work. He Great stuff on Facebook. He also puts a lot of stuff on Twitter as well. He's at Marcus Nielsen 8. Uh, you can find him there. And yeah, uh, great Argos content. He was talking about the fact that they opened up the seats in the upper deck on the east side of the stadium. And they've only opened up the front sections to this point, but tickets are really expensive there. They're eighty-eight fifty for a ticket, and, and and he was upset about that price point because, and I think a lot of people agree with him too that this is the upper deck. This is a place where it's not even normally open, and so tickets should be much cheaper up there. My argument is the opposite. I love those seats. To me, I think those are section two hundred seven, which is the center, the front center of the upper deck on the east side. I think is one of the best places you can sit in the stadium. I think it's a, a fantastic view. And if you are comparing it to the other side of the stadium, section 223, so at the very back of the, the second deck on the west side of the stadium, like those tickets are 92 bucks. 92.50 you're paying for those seats. So to me, it makes sense that the exact same spot on the other side of the field should be comparable. And it is at 88.50. Where do you stand on this? Hmm. It, it makes logical sense to me. There's certainly not price gouging. Um, you know, these. this is the price if you, like you say, if you look at the comparable seats and this is what the comp is, I guess the argument is if you're trying to fill the house 
uh, with as many people as possible, you, you you might say, well, why don't why don't we make these seats forty dollars and let's let's really get people into this place? I, I see. I mean, I see that argument for sure. If you know you're trying to get as many people into the stadium as possible, and if uh, a forty dollar ticket is going to get it done, um, then you know I'm I I can support that. I I, I don't mind the eighty dollar. I don't mind the eighty dollar. I don't. I, I guess it just depends. You know, I, it just depends what your, you know, what the philosophy is. But I, I if I had to choose, I'd probably go with the forty dollar ticket and let's. Let's try and get as many people into this stadium as possible. And that is that's Marcus's view, and I think a lot of others share that view. I just look at it from like from a supply and demand point of view. I just have trouble turning that off and saying, you know, we've got the stadium is sold out. There are so many people that want tickets that we have to open new sections. Let's not charge very much money for that. It just goes against like I guess everything I've ever learned about life, but at the same time, I'm in a conflict because I'm also a fan of like giving away tickets when the stadium is going to be empty. And I think you want to pack the stadium and get people in there. Like I, I'm in favor of giving away tickets to, to, uh, you know, youth football teams and, and things like that to fill up, uh, empty seats. So if I'm in, in favor of that, then why would I now, when they open the upper deck, want to charge yeah, full price I, for I, it? It's, and it's I, I don't know. It's an interesting economic argument because, of course, now that the, you know you have supply and demand, so we had more more demand than supply. So now we've turned the supply on, so that would suggest a scarcity would be money making. But there's also price point conversations, and you know that scarcity may <laughs> may not be enough to to move people to a certain price point. So we'll see. I mean, you know, we'll see what they come up with. If you have not bought your tickets yet for this game. I'm telling you, you want you want to go in that section, section 207, right at the front. Not only is it an amazing seat, you're going to have the smallest lines at the concession stands and the bathrooms because it's only the front of those sections they're opening up. If you haven't got your tickets there, that is the place to get them. There, it, it's an amazing place there, to there watch is, the football there game. There is a more than decent chance that one of the two people on this podcast will be sitting in that section. I know. Well, you love being you love being in the stands, and that's a like if you can be anywhere, that's that might be the best section to sit in. So I I would expect that you'll be you'll be across the way there be, with yeah no. with uh, all the fans in two hundred seven, and it should be good. You know, like it's going to be cold, but it's going to be warmer than last year's. So I think it's going to be a nice day. Yeah, it it should absolutely be, and it was such. Even though I know everyone's got terrible memories about last year's Eastern final. It should be a uh, sort of, a, you know, a similar kind of crowd in terms of the energy. If you've got, we're talking about similar numbers of people, f- far fewer Alouettes fans, I would imagine, than we had Ticats fans last year when it felt like it was almost 50-50. I think this is going to be an incredible environment. And I also think this is a pretty huge achievement for the Argos. The Argos get ripped all the time for attendance numbers. And I, I get that league-wide. I get why other teams look at it and they're like, what the heck's going on in Toronto? But when you are able to sell this many tickets and not have Hamilton Tiger Cats filling up a lot of the stadium, I think that shows a huge improvement. Attendance numbers have looked much better this year compared to last year. And the numbers for this Eastern final, I think, are highly encouraging. I think people are going to be really, well, maybe not surprised, but uh, the BMO field is definitely 
well designed for creating crowd noise and 12,000 people are able to sound like 25 but if you can put in 20 uh, it it could get really loud if 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 it is you know predominantly argo fans hopefully uh, that place could get really loud i think people are, i think i think the team is potentially in for a bit of a shock cuz i think it's going to get it's going to get really loud in there uh which which would be amazing it's not it's not quite my dream which was the the canadian uh, olympic soccer qualifying which had BMO shaking like a Roman Colosseum. Uh, but maybe, you know, someday, someday we could work to that. But I, I think Sunday is going to be a, a home field advantage that Toronto has not seen up to this point. The injury reports came out today for both teams. And JB, this is the first time in a long time. There's really good news on Toronto's injury report. And after a season full of uh, cringing when you get out to uh, first practice of the week and see who's healthy and who's not, who's able to go and who's not, it was pretty encouraging today seeing just the sheer numbers alone of healthy bodies we had out there running around making plays and, and participating in practice. The Argos are getting exactly as we hope. They seem to be getting healthy at exactly the right time. Um, my 45 looks like a hell of a unit, I, I have to say. I, I think you, you look at that group and that is a team that should go to the Grey Cup. My favorite thing today, watch watching, you know, just you know, sitting there with you watching practice, I couldn't believe the number of O-linemen that they had as a positional group because we've been there for practices. Like in the summertime, there were there were some times when we were there and they, they barely had enough O-linemen to be able to to be able to run drills, to be able to 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 run plays because they were so banged up when you had, you know, Blake and Allen having to rest, everybody else injured. You basically had three starters that were able to go and, and whoever else you had off the practice roster. I think they had, they had like 12 or 13 guys dressed out there today uh, on the offensive line. And that was highly encouraging, but that makes for some very difficult decisions. And we'll talk about that in, in our next segment when we start trying to figure out who plays and who sits. But let's look through this injury report. So basically, everybody that did not practice at all today were guys that we knew wouldn't practice. Uh, Maurice Carnell being the most recent with that knee injury. And I don't I, I think that's I think that's unfortunately going to, be, going to be it for him. And everyone else we knew was was already expected to be out for the season. The guys that were limited, you've got Josh Haggerty with a foot injury, and that is a big one to watch because he is such a solid special teams contributor. And we're going to talk later about how important that is on this uh, in this Montreal matchup. You also had Wyndham McManus, who was out there for the first time, limited, but looking pretty good. And we'll get back to him in a second. Peter Nicastro out there, limited again, but also looking pretty good. And everyone else full. Uh, that is sensational. So let's talk about Andrew Harris for a second. He practiced full today. To me, to my eye, he looks like the same Andrew Harris, but they, the reason it's hard to gauge is this isn't a knee injury. It's not a leg injury. This is a pec injury. And so in the context of a football practice, he is going to look like the same Andrew Harris. He had burst. He had an explosion. He had he had moves. His timing looked great. I, I thought Harris uh, looked ready to go. But 
it's doing things that don't really test his injuries. So I had a far more difficult time gauging his readiness. And Coach Dinwiddie said after practice uh, that there was going to be somewhat of a, a split this week. Um, David Marsudi was was uh, asking questions with uh, Frank Ciccarelli after practice, and and you know they're going through all of these players that are returning. And Coach Dinwiddie suggested there would be a bit of a rotation with he and Olet. Uh, but the fact that we're even talking about this is is highly encouraging. This is a huge emotional boost to get Andrew Harris potentially up to full speed and back in the lineup. Amazing. Uh, if Harris scores a touchdown in the first quarter, he will blow the imaginary roof off that stadium. And that is the, the potential for that kind of emotional... Uh, electricity is amazing for a playoff game. Uh, I'm I'm really excited. I don't I don't you know I don't expect him to go out there and and tear it up. Um, you know I I'd, I'd like Olet still getting most of the most of the reps. He's certainly earned that. But uh, red zone Andrew Harris first touchdown. He hasn't scored a touchdown as an Argo yet. Uh, first one in a playoff game would be uh, would be amazing for him to to have done all that rehab and fought all the way back. I, I, I just think it's such a, a tremendous story. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that playing out. The football coach side of me would never agree to this, obviously, but the entertainer side of me really wanted the Argonauts to play the role of the villain here and not have Andrew Harris practice at all, not have him on the game day roster and then have a late scratch and then suddenly the Undertaker's music plays and Andrew Harris comes out of the tunnel to replace him. That would have been the most epic way to bring well, him back to Beale uh, Field. To some extent, they've done that with McManus. There wasn't yeah, any it, it, sense that he was on the verge. And if you're Montreal, you cannot be happy uh, about McManus being back in the loop. And we still don't know that he's going to be good enough to go. Like he is limited, but I'm pretty encouraged by it. I, I, you know, I think just even, even the fact that he's out there. Because to me, if you're out there practicing limited this week and you're not, and you're not realistically thinking about coming back, then then what are you doing? You know, what? Why are you? Why are you taking indie reps away from guys and things like that? And so I just don't think I don't think this is I don't think McManus is out there just for fun. I don't think he's just out there running around. I think he's got a his sights legitimately set on the Eastern final. And and I think the coaches do, too. And I feel like he's probably been doing nothing but rehab over the past month, just doing everything he can to get his knee up to shape. And I don't expect him to be at 100 percent for this game. But we're talking about the best defensive player in the CFL this season. And so even if he's at 80 percent, then I think I think you've got to run with him. And at this point, I'm if I had to bet whether or not he'd play, I would think he's going to play. 100 percent. Peter Nicastro is a tougher one because this is, it was a far more serious knee injury, one which uh, I guess required surgery and, and a ton of recovery time, as we know. And he's an offensive lineman. Uh, not that not the linebacker isn't a tough spot for a knee injury, uh, but offensive line is is a whole different story. And while Nicastro, I thought, looked really good out there on the practice field, you never really know. Like, we're not, we're not watching padded practice. We're not down there on the field talking to them about how things feel. We still got to wait and see the next day. Like, that, that, that's where this could really fall flat, as if tomorrow, let's say, Nicastro and McManus uh, aren't able to go. 
because they didn't respond positively to being out there in the field, well, then that is very deflating and that's still very possible. But I just, I'm not sure Nicastro is, I just think it's a far more difficult thing to come back from for his position. So I would be far more surprised to see him dressed this week than I would Winton McManus. All right, JB, let's uh, let's talk about this depth chart that you alluded to before, the 45, and who you're going to start. We're not going to go through the whole thing in all 45 because that, that would take us more than the time we've got in the show. <laughs> but let's focus in on two positional groups because there are two that I think are really interesting, especially when you start going through the exercise as we did, as to who you then draw starters from if you're starting more in specific positions so let's start with running backs because i think i think you have to start four running backs before we even get to talking about fullbacks i i just don't think it's an option if harris is practicing full which he was you've got to start harris you've got to start olette you have to start out of a boy because he's one of your best special teams players. He's 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 your your team's best special team player, according to the nominations. And I think you have to start Leak because of his special teams ability. I don't really think we're going to see Jeremiah Haddell out there this week. And so Leak is your returner, but he's also your change of pace back. Uh, and, and the Argos offense, because he's the only one that really offers you the other stuff, the bells and whistles to the sort of grinded out yardage that you're able to get from the other three guys. So is there any way the Argos don't start four running backs before we even get to the fullback? No, I think they definitely start four running backs. Um, Cross, I've, my my guess would be uh, they'll keep Calver in as the fullback slash special teamer and cross will sit that would that would be my guess i would say it would go the other way around or they don't go with a fullback like i I know calver's done so much good stuff on special teams and he's he's added a different element but he just doesn't have the same experience he's only been playing fullback for it hasn't even been a month yet Cross is a well-decorated fullback. We know what he can do out there. He's far more a sure thing, I think. And so while I love Calver's contributions on special teams, Cross is a good special teams player too. He plays different roles. And I was kind of, I was looking back through film just to see like every every spot that Declan Cross has lined up there. And I, I think it's just hard to lose him. But I, I feel the same way about Calver too. That said, this team went three straight games without dressing a fullback at all. Yeah. So if they need to draw from somewhere, well, it could it could be it could be both. Yeah, it could it could. You know, when we look at who else they're going to add here, but uh, for me, one of them goes for sure, uh, and you start four running backs. Yeah, absolutely. There's no, I, I don't think there's any way you have two fullbacks out there. And yeah, you think it's going to be Calvert dressed. I think it's going to be cross dressed. But I wouldn't be shocked if there's no fullback dressed. I just, I, I don't see that happening because it does, it does limit the kinds of things you're able to do. Uh, but, you know, we've seen the Argos use offensive linemen as the extra tight end. I love that's one of the greatest takeaways from the last game of the season was when you had Ryan Hunter playing center and, Justin Lawrence came in as a tight end. Man, that was a fantastic package. And so if you don't dress Cross and Calver and you want to go that route, you know, chances are when you've got a fullback out there anyway, and the way that, that Dinwiddie 
his offense, Coach Dinwiddie doesn't throw to fullbacks anyway. They have they have eight total receptions in Dinwiddie's entire tenure. I'm talking about fullbacks, tight ends. This is not, and, and Declan Cross, a guy who once had over 60 in a season receptions, this is not a well-used pass-catching group. So there's not really much trickery going on there. When you bring in a tight end or a fullback, usually you're running the football. And so putting an extra lineman out there, I think, answers the brief. Let's talk about the other position where we'd like to have more guys. Typically, the Argos have had seven guys on the offensive line. I think there's a real logical reason to dress eight guys this week. Are you with me on that? Uh, I, I don't think so. Um, I, I think it would be a tremendous luxury, but I don't think Nicastro dresses. I, I just don't see where you steal from. Uh, I mean, maybe you go down a receiver, you know, maybe Brissett comes out, um, or, or Tommy Neald, you go, you, you go down a receiver, but I mean, the chances are you're not going to need eight offensive linemen. I think you've got seven fantastic offensive linemen. I, I just don't see them needing eight in, in the way that you're going to need an extra receiver. Uh, so I, I probably lean against Nicastro for this game. Yeah, this is this is a tough one for me because I would like them out there and I love that tight end package and the stuff they're able to do there. But it, it hinges on whether or not they feel Nicastro is ready to go. And obviously we can't we can't tell, but they know. And if they feel like he's ready, if they feel like who, he can actually you, play who, this week. Who do you who do you sub out for him? I think, and that's that's the issue. I don't have a good answer for this because you can't take away from the defensive backs. And it's really tough to take away from the receivers because you don't want to be in a position where a first quarter injury takes away half of what right, you that, were planning that, to that's do. Where I, I just don't think, yeah, I think, I think eight. It is. has to be from the defensive line. And then I look at, so are, are you going down to seven on the defensive line? Because you have to, assuming you're starting McManus. Yeah, I think you're already, you're already taking from the defensive line to, to bring McManus back in. I, I know. And so that brings you down to eight. And if you want to start another offensive lineman, that's now seven. No, I, don't, I don't think that's good. I don't think that's good roster management. I know, and I, I can't really argue with you because I believe that, especially against a team like Montreal, who we expect to to pound the football, you want to be able to bring in fresh defensive linemen. You don't want to be in an injury situation that now limits you to six. So, yeah, I don't really, I, I really want to start a, or sorry, I really want to address eight offensive linemen. Like you, I'm not sure there's a way to do it. If you can find a way to do it, you do, but I, I don't know how comfortable I feel with it. I, I just don't see the numbers. I don't I don't see who... I don't see who you, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, maybe, like you say, maybe you take away, so now you're going to go down two defensive linemen. That's really, I think that's really it's too risky. The it is too risky. You can't, not against this team. If it's a different team, maybe. Because really, I would say there's a very good chance Nicastro would not play at all as the back, you know, as the backup center, because um, there, you know, we already have a backup center. You've actually got two because you've got Ryan Hunter and Philip Blake who can play there. So, yeah, I think you keep them. You keep them in the mix, but not. I I don't see it. But I'd be curious. You know, I, that's why they get paid the uh, the medium sized bucks. And uh, again, just think about how fortunate the Argos are. We're talking about the 
man who was voted the best lineman on the team last year, the Eastern Award-winning lineman. Love the seven we're dressing if Nick Castro doesn't crack that love. Yeah, absolutely. And it also reminds me what a luxury it was to have Boris Beattie doing punting and kicking duties last year in terms of roster management. I think this is the right way to go, uh, you know, especially obviously John Hegarty being uh, the best punter in the league. But it, the luxury that having a kicker slash punter is for your roster management is huge when you start trying to fiddle around put this together get your national players your global players etc uh yeah it was it was amazing to have that extra body last year but uh yeah you can't there's nothing you can do about that that's that's how it you has to Reskison be for right gets, now gets the uh, gets to dress i don't know and that's another one too he looks so good in that last game he, he was just he provided something I like, that i like him in a playoff the, game yeah, and it's something they didn't have anywhere else. There's no one else in the team that can do... Eric Rogers was the only receiver on the team that could do what Breskison was doing. Those those uh, uh, boxing out catches down the ends on the reach he's got, the instinct he has for the ball, great hands, uh, especially in traffic when he's getting bounced around. No one else provides that level. And so, yeah, I want to find a way to get him dressed, but I, I don't know I don't know how to do that either. So this is this is tough. Maybe Brissette Yeah, maybe out. that's it. Maybe that's it. But he's such a good special teams contributor too. And yeah, and yeah, no, I agree. But I, I like I like Breskison in the playoffs. I, I think you're looking for you're looking for a veteran guy. He's got great hands in the red zone. Um, that, that I would lean that. Uh, probably you'd have to ask a special team coach whether he likes Brissette over Neald. Brissette can give you some returning too if he needed it, but. You know, Brissett or Neald, one of, for me, one of those comes out for Breskison. And Coach Dinwiddie saying today that he's expecting Leak to do a lot of the returning and that we might see Banks out there, which yep, is kind of an interesting one too. But in not naming anyone else, maybe that's where they're leaning to in terms of, of who they end up uh, who they end up dressing for, uh, for this game because he didn't uh, bring up a lot of these other names that are possibilities. All right, JB, it is your favorite time of the show. It is OCDC. Yeah, Eastern Final Edition. Yeah, Eastern Final Edition of OCDC. This one, we're going to go a slightly different route. Usually for OCDC, we do both jobs for both teams. But we're really just going to focus on the Toronto Argonauts for this OCDC. We've done a lot of extra film work this week. We spent a lot more time breaking down what we would do, what we expect Toronto to do. And uh, we'll give you sort of a, a combination of that for for this OCDC. And I'll weigh in with with what you've got to offer. And hopefully you can do the same with what, what I put out there as well. Yeah, let having, Montreal having figure broken out down their the own, games. Let them figure out their own game plan. They can do, and I would encourage you to go listen to the Alouette Flight Deck. Those guys are awesome. They do a great job. If you need Montreal's side of things, for sure, that's that's one of the places you want to hit. So, uh, let's start. Let's start with the defense, JB. So Argo's defense defending the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, what are your takeaways? What do you see? What's going to happen? It's always a bit of a mugs game to rely too much on the previous game film. So, you know, these are, you know, it's not high school. These are professional teams and they have deeper playbooks. Um, but having said that, teams also have, you know, teams are who they are and they have, you know, their their plays that they like to run and the, 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 the mindset, the philosophy that they like. You know, watching that Hamilton game, it's clear, you know, Montreal wants to run the ball 
uh, and they want to pass the ball like a running game and then take the occasional shot downfield with uh, with Wanakir Lewis. Um, but most of what they want to do is really close to the line of scrimmage. A lot of screens. They got that hitch screen they like. Um, a lot of quick slants. Um they, they want to keep that ball quick out of Harris's hands. He's a accurate quarterback. It, it prevents them from being sacked. Um, they, they, they want to nickel and dime you all the way down the field. Um, so, you know, looking, looking at that Hamilton film, uh, you know, a couple, couple tendencies came out. You know, of course, you don't want to rely totally on it where, you know, they, they certainly love um, motioning the the man out when they're running that hitch screen, they like the the two kids. They love to run left. They feel really comfortable running left. They love running away from their trips. Um, you know, they like throwing to Winicky in quads. Uh, I think you know clearly the Argos will be looking at this stuff, and th- these are some keys for me. If I'm the Argos defense, not going to overthink it. I think you you continue to keep everything in front of you. Um, you know, from the 30, well, this is another question. You got to have to, you can't let them start at the 50, but if, you know, when they're working their way out of their own zone, I keep, you keep everything in front and it just comes down to tackling. You have to, you know, they love to run a lot of plays where there's a block and they're looking to break a big play. So you have to get off your blocks. You have to tackle in space. The Argos have shown they can do that. So I keep everything in front. You take away the deep pass until maybe you get to your own 50. And then I start dialing up a little more pressure. Um, send some blitzes. Montreal looked like they had some trouble handling full house blitzes. Um, then you really start coming after them a little bit. And then you're really closing down on those underneath passes. So that, you know, it's, it's kind of bend but don't break till the middle of the field. And then you sort of change a little bit because they will bend but don't break you all the way down to the end zone and then that's a problem you don't want them within 10 yards because they can run the ball and although he you know Stanback hasn't been his full self uh they run the ball really well you don't want you know they ran the ball twice in on Hamilton you don't want them 25 and in so you you gotta you gotta make your stand at the 50 yard line you know dare them to throw that deep ball uh, come after them with heat, you know, come after them four or five, rush four or five, really, really get into them because Harris is not a running quarterback. You don't have to worry about him getting outside the pocket. Um, you know, I think I think that's where you go. And and you want to be really physical with those receivers. You know, get in their face. You got to jam Lewis. You got to really kind of, you got to play bully ball against this team when they want to do that underneath stuff really kind of push them off their routes, really come down field hard. I think Chris Edwards is built to play a team like this. And for all that is holy, do not lose sight of Fletcher. He is, because they have design screens to him all over the place, but also on almost every other play, you know, when he is in like, like they love to run out of, out of, you know, bay, out of uh, balance 22, when they've got the two running backs and they both come down and do pass pro, even on those plays, he's always turning and looking for an outlet pass. So, you know, linebackers, you got to, it's got to be plaster on him. No matter what's going on, they're chasing a quarterback all over the damn field. 
you've got to plaster on Fletcher, 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 Fletcher. He he's what makes that thing tick because if he gets it, he can turn it into a huge run. So for me, I, you know, you're, you're looking at Lewis, of course, but you know, it's you look at the Lewis stuff and he's just running flies down the sideline. You know, it, it isn't like how do we stop this guy? He's, he's literally just running these flies down the sideline. He's a really good receiver; he can go up and get it, but. For me, Fletcher is the key. You got to be all over Fletcher. You can't let them break those runs out of screen. Um, you know, just be looking, be alert screen and alert um, those those hitch screens and and get off tackles and uh, you know get off blocks and 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 tackle in space. It all sounds you know really simple to do, but Hamilton did a terrific job. You watched that second half. Montreal didn't have anything on Hamilton in the second half. Uh, now Hamilton's defense is, you know, their defensive line is very good, but I think Toronto can replicate that. Toronto is a very physical team, and I don't have any concerns about them getting off wide receiver blocks um, or blowing up. You know, Montreal for sure is going to throw some fake hitches and goes, and they're going to throw some some double moves to to try and catch Toronto crashing on that underneath passing too much, but. Uh, I think I th- I'm really looking forward to what Toronto does. I think I think we're not a great matchup for for Montreal, um, you know, offensively. So if you're if you're keying on that underneath stuff and you're keying on Fletcher, um, and then you start bringing heat by the middle of the field, I think uh, I think you're gonna be you're gonna be really happy with with how it goes. But you cannot let them score on specials and you can't let them dictate field position on specials. That's, that's really what it's going to come down to. I wonder about how, how much you get away from doing what you do well and doing what you got there with, because Toronto, we know as, as a cover four team, that's their favorite coverage. And you talked about the bend, but don't break. And that's, that's really the shell they're, they're running. But if they do that so well, why get out of it so early? Like, can't you find ways to be creative or, you know, further down the field than that? Or do you have to break what you do best in order to keep them far enough away from the end zone to, you know, keep them from pounding well, the ball well, in like you alluded to? Yeah. Cause I mean, the bend, but don't break is, is basically a philosophy when you say to a quarterback, I don't think you can make 12 passes in a row, but you know, Trevor Harris can definitely make 12 passes in a row. Um, so I, I, I think it, it, it doesn't work with him. I think you, you be more aggressive with him. You're not worried about him turning and, and letting loose downfield. Um, you know, I, 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 so for me, you defend against that early. You don't give them free downfield looks when they're trying to get out from underneath their end zone. But once you get to the middle of the field, you have to stop giving them free money because he will take that free money all day. And you, Hamilton bullied them in the second half, and it worked. It really did. I mean, they were they were really able to push guys off their routes, and it's all timing stuff. You know, if you jack those guys up um, and you play tight man coverage, uh, Montreal has a problem in terms of being able to move the ball successfully. Um, as long as you're, you know, and this is where complimentary football comes in. You don't want to be down to Montreal. You don't want them to start really rolling the running game because uh, they can. They they won't because it tends to eat up tons of clock. But they can, they can really do it if if they have a lead. 
Let's switch over to the other side of the football. And I'm going to first sort of break down what I see when I look at the Montreal defense. Then I'll go into some things that I want to attack them with. So I think obviously they've got a very solid defensive line. Sewell is is a real problem. There are a couple of guys on there I like. I know Moore has also uh, caused problems last week and he was an issue playing Toronto a few weeks ago as well. So the D-line is, is a concern. The linebackers are interesting because you've got Awe who's out and is probably going to be out for this week. He didn't practice uh, today. And so I, I'm kind of thinking that that he's not going to be there. So you've got Chris Ackie playing in the middle, uh, Beverett and Pickett, the other two backers. None of these guys are giant run-stopping backers. And that is a really interesting thing to me. Now, how Montreal tries to use this to their advantage is... Because they're, they're basically, you've got like two wheelbackers and a sandbacker is essentially what you've got. And so uh, they, they take advantage of the skill sets that those guys have. So they move them all over the place. They, they put them in all sorts of different formations. There's a ton of creativity with their linebacker use. And that can really cause problems with you. It, it causes problems in terms of blocking assignments. It causes problems in terms of quarterbacks not picking up a backer because you're not expecting him to be in that spot and throwing an interception. And it causes problems from them being able to blitz from places that you don't typically see backer blitzes coming from. And that can catch both the offensive line and the quarterback off guard. So that's one of those things that linebacker group does well. Now, the weakness of this group is that they don't have a true run stopper in there. And while I do like Montreal's defensive line, it's it's a big deal not having Awe in there to be your run-stopping middle linebacker. So I think for, for starters, when you're looking for a place to attack, that's got to be on your radar. You have to find a way. If, if teams are going, if teams are thinking outside of the box in terms of how they're going to set up or line up, you have to find the reason why every team doesn't do it that way and exploit it. And the reason every team doesn't do it this way is that you can get run on up the middle. And so that's that's going to be the primary area of focus for me is getting yards running up the middle. I'll talk a little bit in, in just a little bit about how I want to do that. Continuing on to their, their DBs, they've got some real strength in the middle there. I, I like Dequa in the middle. I like Murray and Sutton as the halfbacks. I think it's going to be tough to take advantage of them. I think they play pretty honestly. Dequa's the only one that really will take chances, but he just doesn't get burned a lot. He, his his chances that he does take really play well for him. Uh, he's a hard hitter. He's not a guy that I, I, I think we can see the Argonauts exploit to the degree that I did think they could earlier in the season. I just don't think that's there. Instead, I think there's some vulnerability at corner. So you got Lyon uh, on the boundary side. You've got Mike Jones, the DB, because they do have two Mike Joneses on their roster. Mike Jones, the DB on the field side. There's room to take advantage of these guys. Now, Mike Jones is coming off a huge game where he had two picks, but I think Hamilton saw something on film where they wanted to take advantage of him. I think what Hamilton saw is a vulnerability there in Jones's coverage. Jones is fantastic with the ball in the air, and we saw that with the two picks, but he can be beat. And I think if you can find a way as the Argonauts to get him lined up against Banks, Daniels, Gittins Jr., I think that's where you want to go. If you find them in man coverage and one of those three receivers has Mike Jones, you go after Mike Jones, but you better make sure you throw a good ball. Because if it's like what we saw with the Hamilton-Montreal game and that ball is behind, 
he's got to pick it because in both of those throws, they, they were bad throws. They were balls that didn't quite make it there. Jones is going to pick it up in the air and make you pay for it. So you just got to make sure that you bring that ball in accurately. And then Lyon on the other side, I, he's really aggressive. And I think that's something that you can take advantage of. That I, I want to see double moves on that side. I want to see... I want to see you show tendencies that he's going to be playing on. He's going to come crashing in aggressively like he, he does. When you run things like the, the Ambles screen that we've seen them run all year, those quick outs, he's going to be all over that because he was when Hamilton did it this week. Um, he's also quick to break in on, on out routes, on quick ins, on slants, on drags. He will come after you. And so that's where I want to see that double move. Those are the guys that you pick on. And so that's when I come up with my offensive philosophy for this, I, I usually start with players first. And those are the players that I think Toronto needs to focus their attack on the two corners and the middle linebacker. So in terms of how we'd go and do it, well, the coverages that they ran against Hamilton, I think are actually going to be pretty similar to what they want to show against Toronto. I know teams don't like to do that. JB, you talked about that. Like professional football teams don't typically run the exact same thing the week after they they just did it. You don't see that. But I do think it works quite well with Toronto. So last week against Hamilton, they did not want Hamilton to be able to run at all on first down. So on first down, you saw almost exclusively cover one with guys coming downfield and really looking run first. And Hamilton very quickly got out of that because they saw the issues that that they were facing against that defense. And then Montreal also ran some really sneaky plays where they were disguising coverage well, making it look like cover one, and then suddenly they would shift into something else. And it confused Dane Evans. He got off to a really slow start because he was sure on the snap, okay, I'm looking at man coverage. And then once he dropped back, he'd look up and and not know what he was looking at because they had some they had some pretty tricky stuff out of those cover one pre-snap looks. So um you know, in, in terms of uh, how we're going to take advantage of that, well, there are a couple things that cause them problems uh, with those looks and and Hamilton was able to take advantage of. And I think Toronto has a better offense than Hamilton does. So I think there's real opportunities there. They had an issue with stacked receivers. You watch the way that Hamilton sometimes stacked two receivers or would have them cross on their waggle, on their run up. It led to a lot of open space in the defensive backfield for the Alouettes. That's one way that I think you you start to mix things up for them. If they're going to play man, make them communicate right into that last second, especially if, uh, you know, especially if this is, you know, environment where you're, you're not there. It's not your home crowd. It's not quite the same thing. They've got to communicate. They're playing on a different playing surface. There's all these other things going on. Confuse them. Uh, have them uh, be responsible for communicating who's got who. And in zone coverage, it also provides that same difficulty. The other thing I want to see is a lot of middle crossers. We talked about those those backers playing out of position. Middle crossers are really tough on linebackers. The high-low on the middle linebacker is one of the most difficult things for CFL middle linebackers to defend. We're spoiled in Toronto because Enoch Mwamba is one of the best in the league at that. He doesn't fall victim to linebacker high lows and so you just don't see teams run it but that's not something that Chris Aki has a ton of experience with he hasn't played a ton of middle linebacker that's what I want to see and Hamilton did burn him a couple times on those high lows so that's something that we we definitely have to see the Argos bring in another thing that I think is interesting and I haven't seen Toronto do this at all this season so I don't expect it but 
Hamilton ran some orbit motion last week that caught Montreal off guard. Orbit motion is sort of when a receiver takes a really deep path in behind, even where a running back would be lined up in pistol. And they ran Tim White on orbit motion and were able to get the ball out to him. Things went wrong and they weren't able to make plays, but there was an opportunity there because the way they defend it was not how teams have typically defended this in the past. Often with orbit motion, you'll see the safety come flying down in a response to that action. Montreal instead was responding with their backers and they're taking bad angles. And it was really easy for the Hamilton receivers to get up and block them. So that's a play I would love to see them add in. I just, I don't think we're going to see that. But if it were me, that would be something that I would look to put in just based off the trouble that they had defending Hamilton with that same look. And then the last thing I want to do, which ties into the the run game and that run middle stuff I talked about, I, I want to see I want to see some some duo runs. I want to see some some double teams on Sewell, and, and uh, really allow the O line to create some space. The Toronto O line has been so much better run blocking since the arrival of Ryan Hunter. And there were a few plays last week when Montreal wasn't in run-stopping looks. And so it's not necessarily run-downs that you want to do this. But they were able to double-team Sewell and create space there and eventually climb to the next level, leaving all sorts of room for the, the Hamilton backs. Now, Hamilton was in a situation where they really weren't able to run because they got down big early. If Toronto's hanging around early in the game, I want to see stuff like that. I really want to see them double team him and see what kind of hay they can make on, on the inside. I think that's that's going to be the, the basis of my strategy. Pound the middle with, with you know, heavy, heavy power run, uh, really looking to, to run those duos, run those... Um, run those double teams uh, and then climb up to the next level. And yeah, let's take advantage of the the corners on the outside and those crossers over the middle in the passing game. So I, I think you can add that to the regular RPO stuff that you typically see Toronto run. I like that this week against the Alouettes too. Yeah, I think the complementary aspect is more important this game than, than it has been in a while in terms of the offense and the defense having such an impact on each other. If Montreal is built to be in the lead. Um, they are not built to come back. They, you know, the, going deep downfield, which they will, but that is not their game. That is not what you know. They're not the BC Lions. That's not what they're built to do. And um, you want you want that. You want Montreal down ten, down fourteen, trying to push the ball down the field and get them out of there you know, they're sort of frustrating wear you down offense where they finally get you sleeping or, or overreact to the underneath and then they hit you deep. Um, so that's, that's where the offense can have a huge impact. If we can get up on Montreal early, uh, everything changes. I think that plays beautifully into, into our hands. It's not typically a part of OCDC, but special teams is going to be mm-hmm. massive this week. Yeah, I mean, you saw it in the Hamilton game. He started with the opening run, you know, where he got past the 50. And the, those are game-changing runs when you're trying to catch up, when you when they got close and he worthy broke another big one. They're really good at punt return. They're really good at kick return. Um, I don't know if we're quite at kick the ball out of bounds, but they're really good at it. And I think... You try early 
to to get there to get off those blocks to you know make sure that you have uh, redundancies because if you get a guy getting washed out you can't just let that be a lane um, you've got to have somebody you know you got to have more more lane redundancies than maybe you normally would you know so maybe take some guys out of the lanes and have them run behind the first row to to fill in guys getting washed out because Montreal is so good at washing guys out they just they you know it's like a it's like an offensive lineman. They just put their helmet into the shoulder and they're pushing the guy five feet to the right and and Worthy just takes it up the middle for 50. Um, it's huge. It's going to make the difference. It's going to make the difference in the game. If they can keep Worthy under control, I guarantee a victory. Uh, if they can't, it's, it's going to be it's going to be a harder game. It's, it's a roll of the dice every time you kick or punt the ball to Chandler Worthy. And it, it's something that I would rather, I'd rather you lose a little bit of distance for more height and get your guys down there. I, I think that is favorable. You can't always punt it out of bounds depending on the, you or, know, where or, you are or, and what the penalty yardage is. Yeah, but that, see, to me, squib, squibbing is, is not a bad idea, but sometimes it messes up the timing for your coverage team, yeah. too. I don't know if I, I think I'd rather just get more height on it and have your guys all standing in a five yard halo around Maybe. him when he catches know. the ball. I, I got to say, I would, I know a, a special teams coach would be like, would, you know, doesn't want to throw the white flag, but if I sit there and watch Chandler Worthy run back the opening kickoff for a touchdown, I'm going <laughs> to throw my phone into Lake Ontario. Um, I, I think a squib is, is something to look at where you just hammer it down the middle of the field and okay, they get it at the 30, but you know, okay, that's fine. You know, we didn't pin them at the five, but they didn't run it back to the 40. So I, I think that's something to consider the, the right down the middle squib and, and why, why give Montreal a chance with one of these great weapons? They're clearly very good at it. Um, I don't, I don't know why we, we risk it and, you know, I speak of uh, a Super Bowl once thrown by Bill Parcells where he just kept kicking the Desmond Howard. Um, nothing wrong with uh, making a smart decision. It's the one area in which Montreal has a clear advantage over the Argos. Yeah. I and mean, so our, our if... coverage team has been pretty good, but um, I, I thought it made the difference in the Hamilton game. Uh, in, in a couple of key moments, his returns um, r- just flipped the game in Montreal's favor. And especially for an offense like Montreal, you know, you can't let them start at the 50. You've got to make them go the whole darn field. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm divided on that. I think you give your guys a shot, but if they don't get it done the first time, then I think Captain Squibb. All right, we got to do one thing, JB. Uh, I'll give you my one thing first, and then we'll hear yours. My one thing ties into my offensive game plan, and I just don't know if we're going to see it from the Argos, but I want to see, I want to see ten or more middle runs, ten or more runs between the tackles, because I just think that is where they are most vulnerable this week. So unless unless there's a miraculous recovery from Awe, in which case plans have to change a little bit. 
if it's Chris Hockey out there starting at middle linebacker, I think that's got to be your your strategy. Run up the middle, really pound it at them and force them to adjust, force them to make changes, force them, you know, if, if they if they want to make adjustments and, and bring in different personnel, you know, they, they, they have done that. They did rotate a little bit last game, but they don't want to do that. If they wanted to do that, they would start different guys. So if you're putting them out of their comfort zone, great. So 10 or more runs up the middle. What's your one thing, JB? Hmm. I think my one thing is leak. I think leak has the potential to be um, an X factor in the game. I want to see Leak get 10 touches. I know that's a lot of touches. We already have a crowded backfield. But whether it be run or screen pass, I'd like to see Leak get 10 touches. I think he complements the physicality of the other two guys. Not something that we've done a lot of. I'd love to see two back sets out there with with one of the hammers and Leak. Um, you know, whether it be you know jet sweep or or tight end reverse that's i i think leak is a weapon that we should use a little more so i'd, I'd love to see that and predictions how Ooh. does this one end jb how does it end well i i i i do believe we are going that we are going to win the game uh i do believe the argos um are victorious i think that it's going to be um 28-24 Argos. I got a similar score in mind and uh, this the same winner, obviously. I, I think the Argos are the better team. I think they are the better team. I think the Argos play well at home. I think BMO is a very difficult place to play. I think it was a huge emotional lift for the Alouettes last week, a team that hasn't had a lot of recent playoff success and for them to be able to win a playoff game at home. Not that that, you know, not that the players are like, well, that's, you know, that's our season. That's all we needed. But there was a lot of pressure on them for that. And they got that done. I, I think, I think they're going to have a really tough time staying with the Argos if the Argos can get off to a hot start. And so I, I think this is going to end up being a 30 to 17 Toronto Argonauts win. It, the hot st- I cannot... Uh, agree more firmly with that hot start in terms of the crowd, crowd getting behind it, crowd feeling juiced, crowd feeling up and into it. The first quarter, 10 points. If we score 10 points in the first quarter, it's an Argos win. Book it, turn off the TV, make yourself a sandwich. And let's go, uh, I guess, halfway across the country for the other matchup. BC at Winnipeg. <laughs> How do you see this one playing out, JB? Um, God, that's a fascinating game. Uh, I can't I can't bet against Winnipeg. Um, Rourke looked better as, than he did as the game went on. BC still kind of all over the place when it comes to injuries. Maybe, maybe lucky, maybe not. Um, yeah, I, I think Winnipeg. I think I, I have to go Winnipeg. It it could be Rourke's last game in the CFL. Um, I think the hype would be huge if he were able to come up with a win. I mean, the guy could be a, a CFL legend in this in in this year as a Canadian quarterback driving for a for a championship, but. How, how can you bet against Winnipeg at home? I don't care who's coming. And 
and then we can get into conversations about where where they rank in in dynasties. They go up for number three. For me, it's the same. I think you have to take Winnipeg for all the reasons you named, but also going back to April when we made our our only predictions of the, the preseason, my only Grey Cup prediction that I have stuck with all year was Winnipeg-Toronto, and I'm one day away from that, that coming true. So hopefully Toronto can win it on the first end, and then Winnipeg does it in the second end in terms of my prediction. But I, I'm going to be cheering for BC because I want so badly to see Nathan Rourke in the Grey Cup. I think it's such an amazing story. I think it's really unfortunate, an unfortunate position potentially for the Toronto Argonauts to be in, but we haven't got there yet. So let's uh, let's wait on that. I, I think Toronto wins the first game and I'll be cheering for BC in the second, but I think Winnipeg takes it. Like we said off the top, if you haven't done so yet, go pick up your tickets for the Eastern Final. It's going to be awesome. It's an amazing environment. The place will be hopping. And uh, yeah, there's there's nowhere better in the city to be. You've got $7 beer, $3 hot dogs. It's uh, a fantastic deal. So definitely get your tickets if you haven't done so yet. That will just about do it for us on this pregame walkthrough edition of the X's and Argos podcast, the Eastern final edition. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya.